Hello and welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, we speak to Daisy Powell, an expert on disability and working in the charity sector. I've known Daisy for a few years and she is a veritable library of knowledge on the subject of disability and charity. Uh, We speak about a number of things, including the disability employment gap, the types of work that are available to disabled people, reasonable adjustments or adaptations that organisations can use, and ultimately why charities need to be thinking more about disability, diversity and inclusivity. Daisy and I met in a quiet London park one lunchtime, but despite this, there is an intermittent background noise of wind and, uh, and also surrounding building work. So apologies for that, but that's London for you. So without further ado, here is Daisy Powell speaking to me about disability and charity. Hello, uh, welcome to Charity Chat. I'm Sam Davies and I'm here in a lovely green sunny park in the shade with Daisy Powell. Hello Daisy. Hello. Thank you for joining the show and, uh, and contributing today. So um, I know you as a, a bit of an expert on disability and working in the charity sector and uh, I suppose the first question I have is maybe can you tell the audience listening about your background, knowledge of disability in the charity sector? Sure, sure. Well my background is actually uh Uh, kind of an academic background in disability uh, and specifically in cultural representations of disability Um, and I love that subject so much that when I finished my research masters I knew that any practical work I did out in the world needed to be disability focused so that has led me to work in lots of different organizations kind of around supporting or advocating disability rights um, and it's something that I've been doing in that sector for six years, um, but I'm about to actually switch back into academia and uh, do a PhD in the subject, but I've learned so much from working in charities and getting that practical hands-on experience. Can I ask what you're doing, you're going to be doing your PhD on? Yeah, yeah, so that is actually going to be on uh, representations of disability and austerity. Um, in 21st century British literature and film. Wow, okay. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> light, a nice light subject. Fantastic. Uh, but a very, very topical one. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's uh, affecting millions of people currently. So, so hope to I, Daniel to Blake and, and things like that. That is one of my, very one of my texts. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, a fantastic movie, right, yeah. yeah. What do we mean by uh, the disability employment gap? That's, that's one thing that I've seen. Yes, absolutely. It's a, it's a huge issue. Uh, and kind of in its, in its simplest terms, uh, it's the um, difference in so-called non-disabled people, the number of them in work and the number of disabled people in work. Um, so that's kind of one of the things that we mean. So, uh, for example, around 80% of non-disabled working age people are employment. Right. And the figure for disabled people is more around 49%. Okay. Um, and that's a lot of disabled people because there are 7.6 million disabled people working age in the UK. Uh, so, so there's a big gap in the number of disabled people actually in work. Um, but it kind of goes beyond that. So it's also the kind of types of work mm-hmm. that a lot of disabled people are entering. It's usually low paid. It can often be low paid work. Sure. 
um, and high stress and precarious work as well, which mm. is actually much worse for your well-being and your health um, than not being in work at all. Right. Uh, and, uh, it, and also that kind of leads to a, a pay gap as well, kind of similar to what we see with the, the gender pay gap um, and the types of work that disabled people are doing. And, and I think something we've, we've talked about before, or mentioned before, is, and it's, it gave me a new uh, kind of consideration of this, um, was that it's, it's not so much about people having a condition that prevents them from doing something, rather than the environment around them which prevents them from doing a job. Definitely, you're, you're exactly right. So uh, there's a, a kind of theory called social model of disability. Social um, model of disability, yes. okay. Um, and it's, it kind of it has been very prevalent in um, academia and also disability activism, but a lot of charities like Scope, for example, mm -hmm. um, huge disability organisation, um, they are very much, they very much live by the social model of disability. And yeah, exactly, it's the idea that you are not disabled because of your condition or your impairment, but when you're put in a, uh, when you find yourself in a situation where there are barriers. Sure. Um, the classic example is the wheelchair user who uh, is only disabled when there isn't a ramp and they can't navigate up the stairs. Sure. That's kind of the, the most classic example. And the way that, that translates into the workplace in a number of ways, um, in terms of kind of attitudes about what disabled people can and can't do, um, but also the physical kind of barriers of accessing a workplace um, are the doors wide enough or are they too heavy? Are they automatic? Um, are desks adjustable? Right. Do they have uh, the kind of software and assistive technology that might be needed to facilitate work mm. or um, personal assistance or even uh, kind of British Sign Language interpreters, all these kinds of things. Um, if you introduce that, that level of support, then those barriers can be very easily taken away. I should say that is not to dismiss the real kind of pain and frustration that can come from individuals' conditions. The social model of disability is a, is a theory that's been debated and develops all the time and, you know, it, it's not to dismiss um, the, the real feelings that people, it's not just a social issue all the time, but uh, that is one of the greatest factors. Would we count them as reasonable measures, uh, these, mm. these changes, these adaptations that places of work can make in order to better accommodate people in wheelchairs or with different disabilities? Is that, is that yeah. how we refer to it? That's kind of uh, one of the key like legal definitions okay. that's kind of come in. Well, it's actually been around for a while with kind of equality and discrimination um, legislation. And so reasonable adjustments for me, it's quite a vague term, sure. and it really kind of depends on how much the charity can or wants to do. Mm. So Daisy, uh, what can charities do to address the disability employment gap that we talked about? So there are a few things, um, and it, it all really depends on kind of how much the charity really wants to invest in having disabled people in their workforce, sure. um, of course. Um, but I'd say one of the big things is changing attitudes. So I think there is often, and there is research to back this up, 
this idea that employers and people in general think that disabled people are um, either kind of tragic figures mm -hmm. that are very vulnerable, this term vulnerable is used constantly in the media, yeah. or that they're unproductive. So, um, so many politicians, um, you know, in the past 10 years have talked, they've kind of got this, these scrounger narratives about disabled mm. people on disability benefits. Sure. And, and that has actually affected how people view disabled people. Um, As if they're making a, a choice not to work. Exactly, yeah. they're just lazy. Sure. They don't want to work. And actually what sure. you find is most disabled people, um, and if you speak to young, young people in particular who mm. are just coming out of uh, educational college and then they have no opportunities, they want to work. They want to feel like they're contributing to society yeah. and, and doing something. And, and they're able to work as well with and, kind of minor adaptations. And the, this, this is part of mental health, isn't it? We've talked about this on the podcast before, that you know, this sense of being part of something bigger than yourself mm. and all of these different themes around mental health and, um, and feeling like contributing to something. That's, that work does that for a lot of people. Of course, of course it does, yeah. you know? Yeah, and, and just, you know, disabled people are just people. Mm. They're just human beings who have need, have all the same needs and wants. Um, it's kind of a long historical process of exclusion from society that has uh, led to this presumption that they're not, that they're different, that they're mm. less than human, which is of course ludicrous when you actually say that to anyone. You know, it's it's obvious that that's not true. Yeah. And there are, in terms of kind of changing attitudes, it's one thing just saying you should change your attitude. It's quite when people ask you like, well, kind of how? Mm. I think sometimes thinking about the social model of disability is quite interesting in reframing the way you think about things. And for me, that really helped flip things on their head a little bit and and help you kind of imagine that having personal experience of these things. So even if you're you you are not disabled, you might be a carer at mm. one point in your life. We all get older, people become disabled when they're older. Yeah. You know, we shouldn't just care about the things that affect us, mm. obviously, but disability impacts our lives in lots of different ways on a short-term, long-term basis. So those kind of lived experiences, I mean, really what you need to do if you want to understand disabled people is speak to or hear, to, hear from disabled people. Yeah. Uh, I know Scope, the charity, have done excellent work. You can YouTube um, End the Awkward. They do this brilliant campaign, which is disabled people talking about kind of some of the faux pas, but in a very non-judgmental way. Sure. So I think a lot of people really worry that they're going to offend or say the wrong thing. Uh, so just being a bit knowledgeable about, you know, how, in terms of how to behave, you know, don't behave any differently just uh, be yourself um, don't don't panic it's one of the things they always say um, don't patronize yeah. you know if you're speaking to a disabled adult don't speak to them like they're a child no matter what their cognitive ability is um, and so scope has lots of advice on that's that and I think that's a really a really good resource um, and there are also organizations um, that provide training as well if, if you do want to train your workforce on disability issues mm. and there's also I mean representation in the in kind of TV and film is my favorite subject how oh, is it is it done well no <laughs> <laughs> most of the time not so much there are some things um, so I mean to focus on the things that are worth uh, looking at things as far back as the office um, yeah. if you want to you know they do have because the producer of the office uh, is a wheelchair user okay. he's done loads of great stuff 
So there's some really funny, and I think humour is often a great way of addressing these issues. Sure. Um, so there's some really brilliant representation of disability in the office, and uh, like other programs. Is that using kind of the character of David Brent as the the worst possible exactly <laughs> kind of way of dealing with or talking to people with disability. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and there was actually uh, got, and if you think about this, was like late 90s early noughties yeah, yeah. there's a one of their things for comic relief um is about raising money for charities okay. and then they have a wheelchair user who is working there and they kind of pull her wheelchair and start kind of creating this tragic narrative around right, her right, right. Um, and then talk about how actually they should be tested um to receive their benefits which is now um, a very poignant issue. Absolutely, yeah. But yeah, these these kinds of things. I'd also recommend reading anything Dr. Frances Ryan has read. She's a Guardian journalist. Okay. She writes amazing um, amazing articles on disability, and her recent book also um, has a whole chapter on disability and work. Mm -hmm. So that's also a really good source. So there are lots of ways to educate yourself. Yeah. But then, in terms, we we were talking about kind of reasonable adjustments or adaptations so these are the physical things um, a lot of the time um, or physical barriers um, so making sure your recruitment practices are open and encourage applicants that are disabled and that uh, if they are uh, if they get an interview making sure that they are fully accommodated sure but if they then um, are successful and get the job making sure I suppose it's difficult because every person is different. Every disabled person has different needs. So it's about meeting with them in an open, non-judgmental way mm. to work out what are, how can we meet your needs. What, what about the, the role of transparency? If uh, for a company or a charity, I suppose, I mean, most of the people listening to this podcast will work for charities or uh, support charities. Is there a responsibility for charities in that recruitment process, for example, to, to say when they can't accommodate somebody? Or is that not so desirable? Is the aim that the charities really should just be doing all that they possibly can um, to accommodate everybody? I would personally like them to, <laughs> to do that. Um, but, you know, I've worked in charities for a long time and I know the, the level of stress and pressure there is and there's often not the time to think about these things even if they seem like quite minor things but you know I suppose charities are supposed to be changing society for the better they should probably be leading the way in this kind of area um, and I know a lot of disability charities do kind of practice what they preach but yeah it's about going back to what is what are your charity's values what is their mission um, and how much are you willing to see that as an opportunity rather than a problem mm. um, and and kind of really invest in your workforce because well charities are about people and about services um, and there are so many benefits that i don't think I've thought about um, so i would say it's worth no matter what the size of your charity is making making those adjustments and being open. We've talked about diversity a lot on the show and I, I guess you know we've talked about in terms of racial diversity and uh, LGBT and, things like, and, and disability is a part of that isn't it? It's about diversity is about being open and accepting 
people with different viewpoints, coming from different backgrounds, as, as many as possible really to enrich uh, board of trustees for example or the workforce and, and that seems to be uh, kind of relevant to our conversation now. Yes, Charities. absolutely because then you can reflect that the, the beneficiaries, the people that you're serving and also your donors um, and society as a whole you are then reflecting and you're bringing in skills and knowledge and lived experience that yeah. you wouldn't otherwise have. Um, you could read it in a book that's mostly what I do, or you know, through meeting disabled people and conversations that I have, I learn these things. That, that is the best way to bring that kind of level of knowledge and experience into the organisation. And I suppose like a lot of these things, any challenge, you know, anything that's new, anything that's different, if there are charities listening to this who maybe haven't um, got a policy that's um, open more to diversity or to uh, meeting uh, the needs of dis people with disabilities then uh, in anything new is going to be a bit of a challenge mm. but as you say there are so many benefits to having that open mind and willingness to accommodate people from every background um, possible and that can be a real strength for charities yes and i guess this is why charities should care about addressing the uh, disability employment gap yeah yeah. yeah, definitely. And there are actually increasing case studies, um, kind of good practice examples of this really working mm. and the kind of things that are in place. I'm kind of conscious that maybe focused a bit more on the kind of practical barriers, but there's a lot of uh, like a holistic approach. Um, so, you know, just things that all of us as employees working for charities would benefit from. So having uh, no shame around uh, needing flexible working hours or uh, needing to talk about your well-being um, and your mental health um, or even having a personal assistant support you at work and um, you know that's th these are all things as well that can be integrated and, and I think changing how charities work I think disability can actually be something that helps people really challenge and change how we how our work structures are and then improve that for lone parents um, you know people with mental health problems older people and like we're increasingly going to be living in an older demographic yeah we need to these need to be long-term issues that are thought of now whilst we I think often in charities we are firefighting desperately trying to raise money for the now mm. and not able to think about the long term but you know, I worry that that's not going to be a sustainable approach, especially with the challenges that we as a society are about to face. Yes. Um, you know, I think um, the new um, Shadow Minister for Disability is actually uh, a, for, so the Labour MP, mm -hmm. um, she's registered blind, she's worked in disability charities for like 10 years, and she's, she said quite rightly that Brexit can't be used as an excuse to not be addressing the disability sure. employment gap and for taking away disability benefits and, and all of these things. Um, because as much as charities, say magically all charities after listening to this podcast decided that they were going to put all of this in place, yeah. the wider structural inequalities obviously still need addressing. Mm. So if a disabled person has had their mobility aid removed and they their public transport isn't accessible, mm. how are they getting to their job interview sure. or getting to work every day? So government policy and funding is 
key. Mm. Um, the government have set a target of getting one million more disabled people into work by 2027. Okay. That sounds good. Sounds great. Yeah. From, uh, from what I've read, the reality isn't looking quite so right. shiny. That's not to say there haven't been some, some really good steps that need to be celebrated. Mm. But yeah, it's, it's not looking like the employment gap is going to be reducing. If it stays the same rate, apparently it will take about 40 years to half. Right. Um, so at the moment, it's not looking quite like we're going to get there. Mm. But there are still things that... That doesn't mean that charities should just give up and, and not try. And as you said earlier, I think, you know, we've, the charity sector has got to stand for being pioneers mm. in, uh, in delivering for society in a bigger way and maybe through our efforts we can uh, and our voting we can encourage yeah. governments to support that yes uh, I know that you know the uh, yeah there's a, there's a certain sense of charities having to pick up the tab for mm. a lot of the austerity measures as it is but as you say it's we're stronger if we include more people in, in our work rather than uh, exclude them because of costs I think yeah definitely so. and actually I mean cost is cost is a tricky one because there is the broader argument that uh, with disabled people in work it will boost the economy and it will be more financially efficient and that's that is true um, and actually the amount of money I think 1.6 million has been spent on benefits testing which is has been documented as incredibly uh, inaccurate and dehumanizing yeah. um, and a way to kind of save money mm. but actually the amount that's been spent on it is more than the reductions to the benefits bill right so you've got to look at those kind of figures mm. and say hmm, something's something's not adding up there um, but whilst whilst I agree that it would boost the economy it is better to have people in work that's not to say that we can't have we shouldn't have a security net because there will always be people that can't work on a short or long-term basis so I would still be pro you know free healthcare and having a security net that supports those people. Because yeah. um, what's the alternative? The alternative is that you're writing off, as you said, was it seven million? Well, yeah, 7.6 million 7 .6, adults. Half of whom are, are yeah. in work and half of whom aren't. And as you said, you know, the, uh, those that are in work, in some cases, it's kind of, it's, it's more, potentially more stressful, lower paid yes. um, roles. So I guess it's, it's a question of getting the, helping people to get to their potential right and uh, and to do all they can the potential good that they can do for brilliant causes all Absolutely. around the country and yeah there's so much there's so much that could could be done like as, as a you as a fundraiser mm -hmm. Absolutely. you know um, having someone being able to speak about the issues mm. um, that they have experienced and felt can you know that's the most powerful story you can have to raise funds presumably yeah um, and so yeah there, there's all of all of those benefits and kind of um, being more creative and innovative by having lots of different ideas and not all just the same repeated you know you've got to think outside the box Absolutely. a lot of the time yeah but yeah not only is that beneficial um, for, for some people this is like a life or death situation they mm. we need you know especially when however many disabled people are losing their benefits now and they're forced to kind of go on to job seekers allowance but then if you miss job seekers allowance appointments because of poor health you lose your benefits 
And, and this is leading to destitution of millions of disabled people. And there have been 15,000 related deaths mm. to this, uh, all these policies. So, you know, people are desperate to work. And if they're, face, if they're told you have a work capability assessment, you're told you're fit to work, whether that's correct or not, and then you're facing, you know, a workforce that won't accept you, mm. What, what are you supposed to do? And, and charities can be very difficult places to get into, but surely that that's a, you'd think that that would be an organized, a kind of type of organization that would want to encourage Absolutely. you to apply. We've talked about that there are, there are a lot of people, um, so seven, seven million people in the UK, working age disabilities um, there's obviously there's demand for opportunities for people with disabilities to work in the workforce a lot of people do already presumably where we are with technology uh, there, there are these different um, measures we talked about measures uh, or adjustments? reasonable adjustments, reasonable adjustments. They there, it, yeah. there, there's this uh, <coughs> there's this idea that you know reasonable adjustments can be uh, made presumably there's the technology out there as well to help with a number of these disabilities to help level the playing field between people with disabilities and people without disabilities yes. in the workforce. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Do, do yeah. you have any, any knowledge of that? It's very, the technology is very exciting, yeah. what's, happen, what's happening in terms of assistive tech. You know, it used to be something that was incredibly expensive and very specialised. Sure. Um, it's becoming more and more mainstream now. So, you know, Microsoft our big shout out for Microsoft as an organisation who um, are very accessibility conscious and about including accessibility features from the beginning in everything that they do. Uh, that means, you know, if you have the latest uh, Windows 10 yeah. PC, it means that you can plug in uh, what's called an eye gaze, which is basically a USB piece of, soft, um, piece of hardware that um, can pick up your eye movements and you can use a computer uh, with your eyes um, all functionality that can also be your communication aid that right. makes it a relatively affordable thing to do mm -hmm. which is amazing um, and they do loads of other things where you can kind of dictate or live caption or break uh, if you're on a web page break the words into syllables and sure. highlight them so these things really facilitate all kinds of needs and they're free and or if you have Office 365, you know, they're all included. So that yeah. kind of, those are work-based solutions okay. that are affordable and yeah. that's really brilliant. There's things like voice activated, like voice assistants, mm -hmm. um, which are very mainstream, which means that you can just interact with your device in a different way and very easily access information about transport or get your diary up or whatever these are these are all things that can be used a lot of it seems to be preferences too right I mean there's a lot of preferences on a lot of uh, hardware that I use um, so for example my wife and I often have we, we watch Netflix big shout out to Netflix yeah. who aren't sponsoring us currently um, and because free Netflix subscription yeah, <laughs> free Netflix subscription use that um, but we have subtitles on ah. um, partly because I think my my hearing is not always that great, yeah. and also we have to keep the volume down for our son who's asleep upstairs. So things like that, there are kind of these kind of preferences in life anyway, mm. right? I know that there are some adjustments that you can make on, on as say, Microsoft programs, whether whether you're using some of this hardware or not. So does that take a, a part of part of the pie in terms of what companies can do? Are there lots of existing um, 
adjustments that people maybe just don't know about. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. And actually, um, one of the accessibility, kind of the key accessibility guys at Microsoft UK talks a lot about the fact that these, all of these things exist and people just aren't aware of them. Sure. And this is one of the huge things is training. So all of this technology, a lot of it is actually quite simple to use and is readily available um, and readily affordable. Mm. But I read a statistic the other day that 22% of uh, disabled adults have never actually used the internet. Right. So, Blimey. you know, not only do employers need to be educated on these things, but training is also crucial um, mm. from an early age in education. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously our education system is a big factor about getting people into work. And if uh, we don't have an education system that can meet the needs of disabled children, then that's a starting off on a, a bad foot. Yeah. Uh, so training is key. And I know that the charity Leonard Cheshire runs digital training programs both okay. for individuals and organizations right yep. so that that could be a, a good resource mm -hmm. um, but yeah that's that's a that's a big part of technology you know knowing how to use it trying it out and having having the funds to get it in the first place I know that access to work um, is a kind of uh, you can apply for grants if you get a job you can apply for a pot of money for these kind of reasonable adaptations and that includes technology. And that comes from the, the individual rather than the, the business? Is that the uh, so actually, because I filled them out on behalf of somebody, Okay. so I think the organisation kind of sorts it out for you, Yeah. Uh, but you have to be offered the job first, okay. right. not to be Debbie Downer, but austerity has also meant big cuts in access to work, but it still exists for mm. now, still worth trying. And yeah, as I say, assistive tech is um, becoming more affordable. It's definitely, I think some politicians have been talking about, uh, I've seen this term used, that it's a silver bullet. Right. I wouldn't go that far because we need to look at these wider inequalities. Sure. You know, it's not going to solve everything. Mm. Um, and we do need fund funding and the right policies um, yeah. and all the interconnected things that allow us to get to work as well. Um, but it's certainly, there's huge potential. It's mm. very exciting. Daisy Powell, thank you for contributing to Charity Chat. Oh, of course. Thank you. So there we go. Daisy, thank you ever so much for contributing to this episode. We really appreciate it. Listener, we hope that you enjoyed this and found it interesting and uh, has, have gained some knowledge from it. I certainly have, and I've worked in charities for a number of years, and including uh, disabled charities too. So uh, that was really good, really insightful, and we hope that Daisy will be back on the show at some point in the future. Uh, we'll post some of the links that Daisy was talking about. So there's the End the Awkward campaign from Scope. There were the uh, the resources you can find on the Leonard Cheshire website as well. We'll get all of that on our website so you can have a quick look at that. Um, the key takeaways that I, I took from that really were don't be uh, behave differently, don't panic, don't patronise. Uh, there are a lot of uh, charities that are doing good things already, but charities need to take a longer view. They need to be uh, more open to diversity, access for people with disability in their strategy. There are some comments there um, about uh, how the political scene is currently and uh, we hope that that will only get better uh, as we hopefully move out of austerity but who knows 
It's fascinating also the stat that Daisy said 22% of disabled adults have never used the internet. There's a huge area there for, uh, for improvement, I think. So thanks so, so much, Daisy. Really appreciate your time and uh, your expertise on the show. Do let us know what you thought of the show. We'd love to hear from you. If you are uh, in the charity sector yourself and have disability, how have you been treated? Uh, what measures uh, have been uh, made for you? And, uh, and what things do you want to see changing in the charity sector? We'd love to hear from you. Please do get in touch with us through the website, charitychat.org.uk. Also, just to uh, thank you, the listener, for uh, continuing to feedback. We've had a lot of good feedback over the num- number of months, including people rating the podcast on uh, iTunes podcast, which is brilliant. Really appreciate that. Keep doing it. And uh, any feedback you give, on there we will potentially use when we're talking to funders to fund our little shows so thanks ever so much for doing that and um, just left for me to thank our existing corporate sponsors giant squid audio lab for sponsoring our podcast kit magda axmit for the beautiful website design check it out chattychat.org.uk our yard photography for the lovely pro bono images on our website and of course forest of fools who've been playing throughout the show and are playing us out right now. That's it from me. Thanks ever so much. Speak to you soon. Cheerio.